0: The uh, two things uh, uh, before I get started here, for, for those of you that are visiting, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are studying in John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. And um, second thing is Brittany Rossman, who's a who's a photographer, is like is like stealthing around somewhere in the building, taking pictures. And so if you're wondering why, there she is, if you're wondering why she's taking pictures, like we're trying to update our imagery on our website, uh, because like our pictures were taken in 2020. And so we literally have website pictures with people with wearing masks and stuff like that. And, and none of us want to remember that. Like, so, um, right. Or how many of you guys want us to go back there? So like one person, thank you. You, I can refer you. Um, (laughs) But so uh, don't get creeped out by Brittany. If you, if you really have, like, some aversion to, like, having your picture show up somewhere, please just let her know that when you see her take her picture, and I'm sure she could accommodate you. And, and uh, anyway, questions, but that's, that's why she's taking pictures, and she might... I don't know. I don't know where you're going to be, but it'll be a surprise. And then... <laughs> Second thing is Tina's announcement when she talked about, I just, I just really, really want to know what the activities are at the women's thing, the fact that she had to give a disclaimer to them. <laughs> like, I have never had to give a disclaimer to um, any of our events. But the fact that she's like already letting people opt out, like, I, I want to go. So. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, the reality is this, like, for, for you men here, you know, we had, like, a great men's breakfast yesterday morning. You know, we have some great women's ministries. Like, if you didn't come to our men's breakfast and 8.30 is too early in the morning for you on Saturday, like, I just want to challenge you to do it. Like, uh, Mike Riley spoke uh, yesterday, and it was such an encouraging time and good food. And And, you know, the reality is this world presses in on us so hard and so relentlessly that, And we need regular fellowship and exhortation and encouragement. And there's lots of avenues for you to get plugged in. So I'd encourage you to to take advantage of those. But that being said, let's go ahead and get started on John chapter 11. You know, if you're just joining us, we've been studying through the book of John. But this summer we took a break for, and we looked at the the, um, Psalm 23, which is where the psalmist is talking about how the Lord is his shepherd. And because the Lord is his shepherd, he shall not want... You know, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And then he talks about, like, um, even though I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You know, sometimes in this world, like I've entitled my message this morning, Struggling Faith in a Shadow Land, because in Psalm 23, it, it talks about the valley of the shadow of death. And I actually looked at that phrase, shadow of death. I think it appears... It appears, I think, six more times after Psalm 23. The first occurrence of it was in Psalm 23 that I could find. It occurs a couple more times in Psalms. It occurs in Isaiah. It occurs when it speaks about Jesus coming into this world to a people who live in the, the like under the shadow of death. Like, we live in this shadow land, and sometimes as we live in this shadow land, we pass through this, these valleys, and the ultimate enemy that we have is death itself. But there's a lot of valleys that don't, like... Take us completely there, but we end up facing hard times. And what we're going to see in our text today in John chapter 11 as we continue our study through it is that we're going to meet a few followers of Jesus who had genuine and real faith. I'm not sure if struggling is the right word, but it, it alliterated with shadow, um, like both started with S. <laughs> it could be like incomplete, they had incomplete faith. I, um, in this shadow land as they walk through like, the difficulties that this world like, threw at them, and this, this curse that's come up on this world, this shadow of death that's brought over us. They had this incomplete and struggling faith and we're going to see like Jesus graciously and surprisingly in some surprising ways like walk them through that valley to show them something more about himself because their, their incomplete and struggling faith like, just didn't see clearly enough what God wanted to accomplish through Jesus. It just didn't see far enough and my, my hope and my prayer through, this, through John chapter 11 this morning is that, is that we'll, be able to, like, we'll be able to see clearer and a little bit further and trust Jesus a little bit more as we go about our, our daily life. You know, I've got an outline. I don't know if an outline is the best way to do this. It's, um, it, the, our story kind of unfolds in four scenes. You know, the first of them is that Jesus waits in verses 1 through 16. If you like to like, break it down into, uh, these are just like scenes in a show. Jesus waits. Jesus challenges, Jesus weeps, and Jesus works. Um, I I didn't want to show the thing because I couldn't alliterate the second one, so um, I'm a bad preacher. Um, <laughs> but I'm like four out of five out of six or something, so that's not terrible. Like you know, anyway. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful chapter. And, and to really know what's going on and really get a sense of what's going on, you kind of got to hear what, what happens. So if you have your Bibles open, look back to John chapter 10, verse 30 and 31. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus makes this amazing statement. He says, I and the Father are one. What he's saying is that like, he and the Father have this deep unity where Jesus is God himself and they're the same. They're, they're one. And look at the Jewish response. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. So here's the scene. They've got stones in their hand, and they're going to kill Jesus with these stones, and Jesus engages them in conversation. Seems like an inopportune time, but Jesus answered them, I showed you many works for my Father, for which, which of them are you stoning me? And then they're, they go through this dialogue, and then in verse 39, they still weren't satisfied. They still got their stones in their hands. They're still angry at this animosity towards him. And and it says in verse 39, therefore, they were seeking again to seize him, but he eluded their grasp. I don't exactly know how that happened, but somehow Jesus, the Son of God, was able to slip out and and elude their grasp. And our our, our account really starts for us in John chapter 10, verse 40, and it'll go into John chapter 11. So um, why don't don't we stand? And I'm going to start reading at John 10, verse 40, because this is where our account really starts. And I'm going to just read this first scene all the way through verse probably 16. This is God's word for his church. And he, Jesus, went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. And many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, and it was the... And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore sent him, saying, Lord, behold, him whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now working to, seeking to stone you and you are going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. Then Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you for the reality that it, that it intersects our, our day-to-day life with, and that um, it speaks to those, those deep and dark places of our soul. And Father, I just ask that your spirit would speak through me today to encourage your people, to reveal Jesus to anyone here that doesn't know him, and, um, and that you would give us life. through your word. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, there's something really great about this passage just because the way it speaks right to kind of our heart issues. But our first scene really unfolds here. You know, Jesus is beyond the Jordan River. He's, he's about 20 miles away from Jerusalem. He's out of the reach of the Jewish leaders who are trying to kill him. And we saw at the end of chapter, chapter 10 that many people were believing in him. So, so Jesus is in this place and his disciples are in this place of safety and security and ministry success. And then we get into chapter 11, and we're immediately introduced to three people. We're introduced to Lazarus, and they're all brothers and sisters, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And I just wanted, I know it's early in my sermon, but I'm going to take a tangent. <laughs> Look how, it, how Mary is introduced to us here at the beginning of this chapter. I think it's in verse, yeah, verse 2. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. There's this scene that John talks about, about, and, and we're introduced to this Mary as somebody who anointed Jesus with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. The reason why that's really, really interesting, why I want us to focus on it a minute, is that that actually hasn't happened yet, and John hasn't told us about that yet. It actually happens in chapter 12, the next chapter. So. Chapter 12, verse 1 is, this, is where that story begins. So what John does here, it's some sleight of hand, is he's pointing us forward to, to a story that hasn't happened yet. And if you go to that story, like, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert here. Sorry if you, if, I, I really didn't want to do this because I'm like, man, if nobody knows how the story ends, I don't want to spoil it for him. But flip over to John chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Like, it's just a few verses after that event happened, and like we're, we're really gonna be like, Lazarus, who? Like, that has Brother Mary and Martha. Like, but what you're what you see happening is that those two stories point back to each other. Do you guys see that? And then in the middle of it is this text we'll look at hopefully next week, uh, where there's this scene with the high priests and and You know, when you study the Bible, sometimes I come to the Bible and and it's like, I I view it like panning for gold. Like you'll scoop up like some sand and you see some color there and you start swirling it around if anybody's ever panned for gold. And sometimes like there's nothing there. And then sometimes you're like, oh, there's like some just riches there. I don't know. I have my gut instinct. But if you're one I don't know exactly why those two stories are pointing back to each other with this account of the high priest in the middle, but I suspect some reasons. But if you're one of those people who are sitting here this morning and saying, like, yeah, I know I need to read the Bible, but I just don't know where to start or what to study. Anybody? And there's like seventy-five liars in here at least. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just a good judgmental Christian. Um, <laughs> I just want to challenge you. Like meditate, and what I mean meditate, like think about those things. Think deeply about John chapter 11, going into that first part of John chapter 12. Read through it multiple times over these next week or two, um, and and uh, and let's just see what God has for us about why like why are those two stories connected with this event in the middle, um, and hopefully. When we get to John chapter, John chapter 12, like, we'll be able to see what God had for us there. Um, but that's just a little aside. So for those of you that don't know, don't know what to study, John 11, first half of John 12, read it, think deeply about it. But here we are. He moves off of that and we find out that Lazarus is sick. So, so Mary and Martha send messengers to go to Jesus and, and the messengers travel these 20 miles down to, to where Jesus is and they give Jesus this message, Lord, him whom you love is sick. And they've, they've known Jesus, Jesus has like a deep relationship with them. We find out that he loves them deeply. We'll see that just in a minute in the text. And so they don't even have to ask Jesus, like what the request is, they just know that if they just let Jesus know the problem that they're facing, that he's going to do something about it. And Jesus responds to them with this message. The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified in it. So he tells the messengers, like, this sickness is not going to end in death. And so they go back, and they tell Mary and Martha... Like, hey, Jesus said this sickness isn't going to end in death. You know what happens, though? If you do the math on the days, if I did it right, these servants would have gotten back to Mary and Martha either just after or just before Lazarus died. And they come with this message. Hey, Jesus says, this sickness isn't going to end. In death, and they see his life like slip away from him, and he dies. You know, I, I can't even imagine, like, if I was Mary and Martha, the, the confusion, the disappointment, the sorrow, the grief upon grief. Not only did they lose their brother, but Jesus, who they like loved so deeply, who they saw heal so many people, was completely absent. The response that they got from him was at best confusing, and it was exactly what they didn't want to hear. Because now Lazarus is dead, and Jesus is nowhere to be seen. Story goes on. Look what it says in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Some of your translations read so, some of them in verse 6. Mine says, when therefore, but I think so is the best word. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two days longer in the place where he was. Do the math on that one. Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So, when he found out he was sick, he waited a couple days. (laughs) It wasn't like he called Uber and got an Uber up to Jerusalem he didn't, like, get on a horse and gallop there. He didn't teleport himself there. He didn't even just say, like, oh, I'll heal him from a distance. He waited and just went about his everyday work that he was doing there by the Jordan for two more days. Like, Jesus' response to Mary and Martha was what they wanted, was not what they wanted. Jesus' timing seemed anything but loving. None of us can would feel that way, right? Oh, I love you, and I know you're suffering right now, so I'll check in for, in a few days from now. You know, there's an interesting thing that happens in the original language that we don't see in in the English because of our just limitations of our language, but. When Mary and Martha talk to Jesus and send the message to Jesus and they say like, oh, the, the one whom you love is sick. They, they use a word in the, in the Greek that means the one that you have this brotherly affection from, like you're really good for. The one that you have this really good friendship and affection for, like this deep and good friend of yours is sick. But then in verse, I think is it verse six, verse five, when it says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and, and Lazarus. It uses another word, this word that speaks to, like, God's, like, unbreakable, unconditional, like, love that's always seeking the best of the people whom he loves. Like, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus with this unbreakable love that always seeks their best. So he waited a few days. His timing was off. You know, and then we we move on to the disciples. And so over in verse seven, then Jesus said, let us go to Judea again, which is where Lazarus is, which is where Jerusalem is, which is where all the people are trying to kill him. And the disciples, I appreciate their like practicality. Verse eight, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you are going there again? Like, Like, look around what's going on here. People like us here. A lot of people are coming to believe here, we're safe here, and you want to go there? And Jesus answered, verse 9, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. You know what? jesus' answer is kind of is a little bit cryptic, but he he used that, that same expression like walking in the day back in chapter nine to talk about this work that he has to do while he 's here in this world and he's, and if you notice what he 's saying here, and he, back in chapter eight, he declared that he is the light of the world. He says, if you see the light you won 't stumble, but those who like walk in darkness they will stumble, and I think what Jesus is saying to his disciples is is the, is this is like I have work to do up in Jerusalem. And it, and it doesn't have to do with me being popular, me being, having lots of followers right now. I have this work to do. And the safest place to be, disciples, is walking where you can see the light, is walking with me, because if you see the light, you won't stumble. But if you walk in darkness, you will. The safest place to think Jesus is telling his disciples for, for you to be is, is being about my work and walking as close as you can with me. And then Jesus gets a little bit more specific, verse 12, no, verse 11. And so he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may wake him out of his sleep. And they're like, uh, Hey, like, I think he can wake up on his own, right? <laughs> We don't need to get stoned to death so that you can wake Lazarus up. And and uh, and then Jesus has to just be really blunt with them. Lazarus is dead. But I was glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. Man, such a hard answer. He was glad. And Jesus' like responses in here: I love you, but I'm gonna wait. He's dead, but I'm glad. They almost feel like callous, right? Like, what do you do with all this? You know, I think the reality is, is that we, if we're honest with ourselves, there are times when Jesus' response to us, God's response to us, is not what we want to hear. Or it's confusing There are times when his timing seems to just, like, suck, right? Can I say that? My wife will tell me I shouldn't have, but sorry. (laughs) But if we're honest, right? His timing, his response, his timing, and his leading doesn't seem to be where we want to go. We're leaving this safe and fruitful place to go to this place where there's danger and animosity, Look at Thomas's response. And you guys laughed at it, which I, I love this response. There, Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go, let us also go, that we may die with him. <laughs> I mean, there's some cynicism there that I am, like, masterful at. But, like, think about this for a second. Like, Thomas gets a bad rap throughout the Bible. You hear about d- doubting Thomas and... He's one of Jesus' 12 like, followers, and he gets a bad rap, but this, I actually believe this is, this is our first glimpse of like this struggling or incomplete faith, because what Thomas doesn't do is he doesn't say, peace out, Jesus, I'm staying by the Jordan. Go wake up Lazarus all by yourself. <laughs> That's what I would do. Thomas here is like, you know, it's, it, it kind of reminds me of Peter's words when everybody was leaving Jesus back in John chapter 6 because he said some hard things that they didn't like. And Jesus says, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter said to him, like, Lord, who, where would we go for you have the words of eternal life? Thomas isn't really saying that, but he's doing it with his life. Like, man, I don't have anybody else but you, Jesus. So even if you're going to lead me to my death, I'm going to walk with you. It's this faith, but it's a faith that doesn't see quite clearly enough. It doesn't see quite far enough. And so it's kind of steeped in cynicism. But maybe that's like, maybe that's where some of us need to be. Like, I think we tend to think of either I have faith or I don't have faith. And we don't really think about people like Thomas who are like, man, like, Lord, you're leading right now seems to be the last place I want to go. You're leading me to this place, the last place I want to be. And you're asking me to leave what's safe and to go to what's risky. I guess we're going. (laughs) But he's going. And he's walking with the light of the world as he goes. I think that's a challenge to... To all of us because I don't think that sometimes our devotion to Jesus is felt in our emotions and in our affection, our excitement, and our singing. Sometimes that's an expression of our devotion to Jesus. Sometimes it's just a response to good music. But sometimes our devotion to Jesus is found in following him even when we fear the worst, but following him anyway. When we don't see... But we trust him, you know. And sometimes, like when we get these messages, well, I'll save that one for for when we uh, we look at the next scene. But we have Jesus and the disciples fearfully walking towards Bethany, and that brings us to scene two. Jesus challenges. You know, I'll, I'll go ahead and start reading at verse seventeen. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. So what we have in the scene is that Jesus is approaching Bethany. We're told that it's only two miles away from Jerusalem. They are well within the like, reaches of the powers that be that are trying to kill Jesus. And as he's approaching the city, Martha somehow hears that Jesus is coming. So she leaves the house and she goes up to Jesus. And the first thing out of her mouth when she sees Jesus is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's a pretty, like, honest response, right? Like, just out of her gut, out of her passion, she sees Jesus and she had seen him heal Complete stranger. She had seen him heal person after person after person. She had seen him work all these miracles. And when her brother was dying, whom he apparently loved, like he was nowhere to be found. Like her her response there is filled with like hurt and with accusation and with disappointment. Lord, if he had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she says something else, which is really interesting. Is it 22? Yeah, even now, I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. As the story plays out, it's clear, in my mind anyway, that, that Mary doesn't even, isn't even considering like Lazarus coming back from the dead. But what she's saying there is she's like taking the edge off of it a little bit. Like, Lord, I'm really hurt. I'm disappointed. You could have stopped this, and you chose not to. Yet... I still believe, yeah? I know that God listens to you, and God responds to you, and you've got this relationship with him. It's this conflicted spirit within her. Like, she's angry on one end, and she's hurt, and she trusts at the same time, and she doesn't even know what to make of all of it. And Jesus says to her, like, your brother will live again. And Martha, she's a good theologian said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Like she's telling herself all the right things. I know that there will be this day when when the dead will rise. And Jesus like stops her and redirects her attention. I think it's really important. He's not directing her attention to some like, her attention to some like far off day in the future that she just heard about like theologically. She... She says, he says to her as she's like, I, I think she's probably weeping there too. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And the one who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What he does is he says, your hope isn't in some future day. Your hope is in a person. And that person is standing before you right now today. And I am the resurrection of the life. I have the authority over sin and death. Like it says in Revelation, I have the keys of the grave. Do you believe this? And listen to Martha. And this is where Martha, like Thomas gets a bad rap. Martha gets a bad rap for... You ever heard that? There was a book like a Martha Heart and a Mary World or something like that, which makes it sound like, or a Mary Heart and a Martha World. Yeah, that's probably the way it was. Um, and I, the book's probably good, but like it implies that Martha just never gets it. But like, listen to this statement. And I think I, I've read a lot of the Gospels, and I think this is probably the clearest statement about who Jesus is anywhere in the Gospels. Can listen to what she says. Yes, Lord, verse 27, I have believed that you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the promised one from old that's coming in to, to bring in our hope. The son of God, the one that's got the same DNA as the father. Even he who has come into the world, the preexistent one who has come and lived among us. I believe that. But you sure let me down. You sure let me down. You know, I, I wonder if that's... Can we have this picture of Thomas that's this way. We have this picture of Martha that's this way. And, you know, I think the reality is, is that neither she nor Thomas like, had the right perspective or, or could see far enough or clear enough. And I think sometimes our limited perspective causes us to cast doubt on God's unlimited love. Jesus loved... Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So he waited. Our limited perspective often causes us to cast doubt on God's unlimited love, but the story of the Gospel of John will play out to prove God's love to us beyond doubt, or actually beyond reasonable doubt. I believe, Jesus, if, if you had only been here. You know, I wonder if that's like the posture of, faith as we walk in this like shadowy world. Again, like often we think like, oh, we've got faith, so everything's great. Now Mary was like, Lord, if only yet I believe. Do you guys see that? That tension in our soul? Like, don't we live there half the time or most of the time if we're honest with ourselves? If only you had been there when my friends betrayed me and left me all alone. Yet, I believe. If only I'd been there when my marriage came like crumbling down around me, or when my kids just like walked away from you, or when like those, that person sinned against me so deeply, if only you had been there. Yet, I believe. I think that's the kind of faith we need to have in this world <laughs> because I don't think we're all, we're all just going like to have this perfect faith. But We need to have a faith that trusts God enough that even when nothing is making sense around us, even when it seems like he didn't show up, his timing was terrible, and he was leading us someplace we didn't want to go. Yet I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God even he who comes into the world, which is what John ends the book with. He says, that's the whole purpose of my book, is that you would believe that Christ is the Son of God and that believing you would have life in his name. Like Martha is getting it even in the midst of her struggle. You know, maybe we would be people that just trust Jesus enough that even when it just is all like breaking down and when our, like she's been in four days of just grief and weeping, that we still believe. Moves us to our next scene, Jesus weeps, starting at verse 28. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard this, she arose quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews, therefore, then, who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, Behold how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man from dying? So here you have this scene, and Mary is in the house just weeping with all the people mourning and grieving, like Lazarus's death. And Martha whispers something into her ear, and they see Mary. It's, it says it twice that she got up quickly. Like she jumps up, probably in her sorrow, and goes running out of the house. And so the Jews are all like, Ugh, better go with Mary. So they're all like following along with her. You know, if you've ever been in grief, you know this is true. Like sometimes you just need people to be with you. Right? They're following along with her, and she sees Jesus, and she's overcome, and she falls at his feet, and she's weeping there. And she says the exact same thing that Martha said. They probably had been thinking about this over and over and over and over again. Like, why didn't he come? Maybe they had even talked about it to each other. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she's weeping. And Jesus, it says that Jesus, as he saw her weeping, as he sees everybody else weeping, that he was greatly moved in spirit. So it's a sense of like he gasped kind of from the depths of who he is. And he asked where Lazarus' tomb was, and they said, come and see. And so it sounds like as they're walking towards the tomb that Jesus himself like breaks down Weeping. Such an interesting picture of Jesus. I I just love it because Jesus knows what he's going to do a few moments from now. Jesus knows what his plan from all eternity has been and what he's going to do for Mary and Martha and Lazarus in this moment. But he doesn't just stand stoically by letting his plan work, but he enters into the grief of their loss, and he experiences it himself. Like, they recognize his weeping is a sign of the depth of his love for Lazarus. They all looked on and said, oh, how he loved him. So it's interesting. I think we need to, like, grasp this, because Because it's easy for us to think as we look about God's sovereign plan, and even as we talk about how God will sometimes lead us through difficult times to teach us more about himself and to reveal us more about himself, that we kind of view God as just like this puppet master in the sky that's emotionally detached from everything that's going on. And and what Jesus is showing us here is that is absolutely not the case. He enters into their grief. And if you think about it, I spent a lot of time thinking about this this week. Like, Jesus more than anyone knows the sorrow of death and what it means as regarding, like, what we've lost as his people. He's the one that created us. He's the one that gave us life. He's the one that, like planned this like life of blessing and joy and worship and fellowship forever. And he was there when we rebelled against him and when the curse of death fell over this world. And he knows how much we've lost. But all of us for generation after generation after generation after generation have just been in the cycle of like birth and life and death where we deceive ourselves into thinking like I guess this is just part of life. No. Like this is not what God intended for us. Death was not his plan. It is an abnormal invader into this world and we should weep over it. We should weep when we, see, when we feel the loss. We should weep like for, the, for everything that this world has lost because of our rebellion against God. And if we rob ourselves from that and act like, oh, death isn't that bad or just like camp in our theological realities and never engage it, I think we do disservice to our soul. Jesus knew all the right answers. He knew how brief Lazarus's death was going to be, and he was weeping anyway. And I think if we understood everything that we've lost, we would probably do more weeping than we do. So don't fall prey to this. Don't fall prey to this notion that oh because we have the right answers. You know, we don't need to feel bad. No, oh, we should feel bad. This world is broken. But we don't stay there. We look to the one who gives life. You know, it's also easy to feel as if maybe like oh I get Jesus feels bad. But the Father, he's the stoic one that that's, you know, steps back and just puppet masters everything. And do you remember what John started this book with? I think it's in, I don't know if I have it. Yeah, John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Like Jesus is the one who explains what the Father is like to us. We have a Father who feels our grief and enters into it. Don't think he just stands off and, and he loves us so much that he came into this world to take care of that problem forever. In fact, like Isaiah 53, speaking about Jesus prophetically, listen to what Jesus does for us. Surely our griefs he himself bore Our sorrows he carried, Isaiah 53, 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul. He will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant Jesus, that's what he's talking about, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. And it's, he carries our sorrows, he bears our griefs, he has anguish of soul so that he can carry our iniquities. I would suspect that Jesus feels the grief that Mary and Martha feel even deeper than they do. And that brings us to the fourth point this morning that Jesus works in verses 38 through 44. Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within. Don't miss that. Came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Again, Martha, the ever practical one. Like Jesus, Jesus, you don't get it. It's too late. He's been dead four days. and We don't want to open that. Look what Jesus says to her. Did I not say to you, if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. Remember that message that she sent to the, he sent to them through the messengers? This, this sickness will not end in death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man might, you might see it and the Son of Man be glorified? Up in verse 4. He's reminding her of that. Like, remember when I told you this wasn't going to be the end? Remember when I, when I said you would see the glory of God? Just watch. And he moves on and he says, um, verse 39. No, verse 41. And they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. And I knew that you hear me always. I know that you hear me always, but because of the people standing around, I said it that they may believe that you sent me. Such a weird prayer. (laughs) Jesus, God, thank you for hearing me. But you know what? I know you always hear me, but I'm just saying it so all these people can hear me say it so that they can learn something. Only Jesus can pray prayers like that, just so you know. (laughs) But what he's saying is like, I'm gonna uh, I want everyone to know that you and I are on the same page here. I want everyone to know that what I do is what you're doing. I want everyone to know that you sent me here for this very moment to overcome death. So I'm gonna pray so that people know that we're on the same page. But he doesn't pray that God would raise Lazarus from the dead. He makes no request there because he doesn't need to. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the one that if you believe in, you will never die. He is the one that overcomes the grave. And so what does he say? Lazarus, come forth, right? Come on out, Lazarus. There's no prayer. No weird incantations. He just calls him, and Lazarus comes out. And it says, uh, and it never even tells us how people respond. I think we'll see a little bit of that in chapter 12. But we, verse 44, he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around him in a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Verse 45, many therefore of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done believed in him. Like, really? That's all you give us? Like, um, the guy just came out of the grave and Jesus is like, ah, take off his clothes and let him go. (laughs) Not his clothes. (laughs) Whatever. The wrappings. And people believed. Kind of an anticlimactic sense of response, right? But Jesus has authority over the grave, and he wanted Mary and Martha and Lazarus to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. He loved them, and his love for them went beyond just affection and sentiment. His love for them wanted them to see who he truly was, see God's glory at work, see the Son of God himself glorified. Why? So that they could have life in his name. He has authority over the greatest and last enemy that, we'll, that we face as people. And guess what? Whatever valley you're going through right now, whatever like, thing you're having a hard time trusting God for, whatever poor timing he seems to have, like the safest place you can be is walking right with him. In fact, this, this incident where he calls Lazarus out of the grave I think is just proof to us of that really, really familiar verse back in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. You guys know it. Who wants to say it, real loud? Okay, I need one person. It's a bunch of mumbling. This is this is good stuff. Anybody? Stand up. Yep. Keep going. That whoever believes in him should not what perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, it's right there. You cheaters. Now listen, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. Isn't that what Jesus said? I want everyone to know that you sent me here. Why? To save the world so they can escape death, so that that enemy could be overthrown forever if we only believe in him. He wanted to take like Lazarus and Mary and Martha's like incomplete, struggling faith, Thomas's, and he wanted to see like he wanted them to see that he is so much bigger, so much greater, so much more powerful than they could ever even imagine. And that's the same thing for us. And I think we need to have that same faith that they did. Like, I guess we'll go die with him. But I'm going. If only you had been here yet, I believe. And I think at the end when he calls us out of the grave and we experience life forever, we'll understand. And, and we will praise him and we will worship him and we will experience life forever. So Yehuda, why don't you come up and, so we can close. But you know, as I do, I just want to challenge you guys. I think there's a lot of things there that this speaks kind of the depths of our human experience in a really kind of like real way. I think sometimes our our faith isn't best expressed in what we say to each other or even what we sing, but what we say to the Lord. Like Martha's words to the Lord, I think there's a beautiful expression of faith and struggle at the same time. And it's okay. It's okay to come to the Lord with your struggles and with your disappointments and with your hurts. But just come to him. Because I think too often, like, There's a lot of places in this story that people could have tapped out. Thomas could still be sitting by the Jordan River. (laughs) Martha could have said, forget it, man. Like, Jesus let us down. I'm staying here with Mary. Do whatever you want, Jesus. Mary could have done the same thing. And I think we do it all the time. And Lord, this is not turning out the way I expected it. So I'm just going to try to soothe my hurt some other way. I'm just going to like sit here. I'm just going to, I'll maybe go sing some songs and act like I'm saying the right thing, but I'm not really going to talk to you about it. I think sometimes our faith is best expressed in what we say to Jesus instead of what we say about him. So I, I just want to encourage you, like he can handle it. Take that pastor of Martha, if you're there, like man of only Lord, yet I still believe you're the Messiah the one that's going to bring about all of the things that you promised for me. You're the son of God, the one who loves us and who's been sent into this, and you've been the one that's been sent in this world to save me so that I can have life and follow him. Because if you just walk in darkness, you're going to stumble. So you're to close this, and I'll close this in prayer.